Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast, home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. Hey, it's Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. I want to remind you guys that we will be in Nashville at the Rock and Pod Expo on August 26th. There are what we call rewards. You can make a donation to the official Rock and Pod GoFundMe page. And if you donate 75 bucks, you can co-host a podcast with me at the convention in Nashville. There's t-shirt rewards available, and also you can get a copy of Ace's book signed by Talking Metal co-founder John Astronomy Ostrowski, and he'll also throw in some, some glossies actually autographed by Ace. So you can get all that info in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. You go to the, uh, the Talking Metal section, into the podcast section, find this episode and you'll see all that info and we'll have links up that relate to this episode in the show notes too and that's also where we have our amazon links that we encourage you to use to make purchases on amazon you guys are great with that and please continue using using those links i really really uh can't thank you enough for that 
and then the PayPal tab for uh, donations is there too. Uh, once again, we're going to be having an episode real soon that deals with all the phone messages you guys have left me on the hotline. It's going to deal with all the social media comments we've been getting in over the last uh, month or so. So you still have time if you want to leave a message on the Talking Metal hotline to do that. The phone number is in the show notes, again, on TalkingMetal.com. Cool. So today we are in my basement and we have Dr. Michael Friedman, also known as Dr. Mike here in Maplewood, New Jersey. Mike, how are you? Doing excellent. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. You bet. Now... Just so people understand, we we met a couple years ago in the park while I think our kids were playing, and you and I pretty much immediately started talking music. And later, I found out that you do you you have a practice. You're a doctor, but you also have written some really great articles for Psychology Today, right? Huffington Post, some pretty big name places and outlets. And these articles that you write are generally have to do with musicians. A lot of times what I'd say hard rock, metal, punk rock, hardcore musicians. So I I thought it would be kind of different for us today to talk with you about what you do, A, and then also just get into some general discussions about mental health, uh, you know, addiction and stuff that you have seen in the rock community. So let's let's start with a little bit of, of your history. You have a band, and I've heard it, and it's great. Can you tell us a little bit about your musical history first? Thank you. Yeah, I, I have... Uh, I had no musical history up until I was in my 30s. Wow. Um, where I... Well, actually, if you consider locking your door and playing air guitar to the song remains the same constantly for years and years, then yes, I have a musical history. (laughs) Uh, But I, what happened was that I, I guess one night I must have babbled to one of my friends that the one thing I wanted to do at some point was I wanted to sing in a band. And by that, I really wanted to one time sing a cover song in front of a bunch of people. That would have been like, that was what I wanted. And so I, I took a singing lesson and it didn't work out. I just sat there the whole time and I, I almost cried. And my, uh, so my friend said, why don't you just go, just try out for a band. You know, just, right. just try to do that. And so I, I went and I tried out for a band. This is, this is, this is in your thirties too. This is it's in my, like, this is yeah. in my early thirties. Wow. And so I, I didn't, so I went and I just kind of assumed everyone was going to be like me and right. have no experience. And so I don't know why I thought that, but I also didn't understand the concept of a monitor. Right. And so when I was playing and basically it was, it was a whole band and I was supposed to start singing, I realized I couldn't hear myself. These are real musicians and I completely suck. And I told everybody I know that I had an audition right. and I was horribly, horribly, horribly embarrassed. Right. And so about with about five minutes left, I just started screaming into the microphone because I was so upset and I couldn't hear myself and I figured I might as well do something. Right. right. And so then I, I went, you know, I said, thank you to everyone. And and like a dork, I sent a thank you note to the guy who was running the the band and he actually contacted me and said, you know, we were going to do kind of more of an alternative thing. And, but I think we're going to do maybe more of like a thrash or a hardcore thing that would suit your vocals. And I, and I, 
I said to him, I was like, first of all, I actually don't know what those words mean, right, right. and which I didn't at the time. And I also thought, like, are you sure you you contacted the right person? Because I heard myself, and yeah. I can't believe that I'm the best person that you yeah. had. And so what happened was, you know, he was sort of like, well, you know, I, I think you weren't really hearing yourself, and let's you know, let's meet up in my apartment and I'll bring an acoustic guitar. So then I thought, okay, now I told everyone I had another audition, but I said, I might be dead because I don't know if I'm going to wind up being the gimp in this situation. Right, right, right. You know, this, this guy's is in New York city. And this is in New York city. And I, but then when, uh, this was Tay Malloy who wound up being somebody I played uh, music with for a long time. And, you know, and then when he started playing stuff acoustically, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I can, I can hear myself. I get what you're trying to do. And we actually started just writing songs right there. Wow. And that was, that was great. And I, I owe Tay a tremendous amount for like introducing me to this entire world because he not only like, you know, had faith in me where I, I, you know, I couldn't and still can't sing, um, and had no experience, but he also showed me the history of, of New York metal and New York hardcore. Like he just, he kind of explained all these bands to me and I, I had no, I had no knowledge of. And so we wound up playing and we wound up working, you know, just he and I, and we would audition people. And finally we got our first lineup together and I don't remember if it was ultrasound or funkadelic or one right. of those places, which is a rehearsal studio which is a rehe- in, yeah, yeah, in New York city that, and, and whoever was working there was a, uh, was a promoter at continental. And so they just said, he said like audition like right, right now. And we had had a few songs. And so we did, and you know, we got, we got a gig and we got a gig at, do you at, remember that promoter's name? No, I don't because he was, and I feel badly about that. It was like, it must've been like 15 years ago and he was yeah. such a nice guy. And I feel badly that I don't remember, but, um, and, and, you know, we, then we started playing shows and it was, it wound up being kind of a somewhere with like a rock punk metal kind of vibe to it. It just, that was the nature of the people who were playing. And, you know, then we wound up going through a few lineups until we had the final lineup. And then we, you know, we wound up recording, uh, three albums, one with Don Fury, one with Joey Z of Life of Agony right. at Method of Groove, and uh, one with Mike, who was our guitar player, who, who's a producer as well. And, you know, we played like like 60 shows, and we wow. played with bands like, you know, like Bobby Steele's Undead, and we opened right. for the Smithereens in Chicago, and it went to the Middle East and Boss. It was, it was just... Man, are you serious? Was, the yeah, Middle East? It was, wow, it was I cool. Didn't, I didn't Shred, that, guys, Shred, the promoter, who is a, a old-school Boston hardcore guy. Wow. He booked us up there, so I have to give a wow, shout-out to him. But, but, but one of the things that was so interesting about it was... Um, when I was a kid and I was, I wasn't really a preppy kid, but I was definitely a nerdy kid, you know, think Anthony Michael Hall and breakfast club. That's like the, the, that's me like right there. And I, I would see all of these people who were metal people or punk people. And I didn't even know what hardcore was at the time. And they were terrifying to me. Like they were, they were, you know, they, they had all these weird, like, you know, clothes and their hair was weird and they looked scary. And so I just avoided yeah. metal and punk people my most of my life. I mean, not, not, I mean, if I was in class with someone, I would talk to it like, and you know, I, what was interesting was that once I started to get to know that community, it was such a, such an extreme change from what I thought, you right. know, where I was like, these are going to be violent people. These are going to be angry people. These are going to be disturbed people. And what I found was that these are like the nicest people I know. And, and it right. got to, it got to the point where now 
if I see someone who's preppy, I almost bypass them on the street. But if I see anybody who looks even remotely punk or metal, right? I, I like you. When I saw you on the on the when I saw you on the playground, I saw you had that hat, and I don't remember what it was. It was like some Ernie guitar, Ball g- yeah, guitar. Company, and I just yeah. was like, I I got to talk to him. And it's gotten to the point where my wife will like see me longingly, sort of looking at someone who's all like tatted up or as a right. and she's like. Do you want to talk to them? I was like, yes. Is it okay if I go talk to them? So yeah. now, now, like, if you're if you're within like ten yards of me and you're and you have any kind of like whiff of metal or hardcore punk, if I have an opportunity, I'll probably try to talk to you. Yeah. And it was just it was a completely different experience, and it was so eye opening for me. And there was I felt like there was this whole world that was just entirely different, and I would have never known about it. If it if I didn't kind of walk through that door that by the way, I didn't even intend on right. walking through like I, I thought I was gonna try out for like a rock band basically yeah. um, and so That it you know, that's how I wound up coming to to and when I wound up playing and then when I became a psychologist and I started writing more for popular press because I'd done more research um, stuff and written for academic press one of the things I started doing was I just started writing and I was like, why am I talking about these issues? And one of the issues I want to talk about was transgender issues, which I had done a little bit. But then I thought, you know, I just found out like Mina Caputo of life of agony had just come out. Yes. And so I thought, wow, I wonder what it would be like to actually, instead of me talking about, isn't this great? And I'd written an article before talking about the LGBT, uh, the metal community and how it's embraced LGBT, musicians and so you know i i interviewed her that was my first interview ever and so what was great about that was because we had recorded our second album with joey who we had gotten to know and i actually later have interviewed um you know interviewed alan like now twice once for his comic books and right. one once for his uh for the recent life of agony album and so you know, and it was the same thing. Like I'm learning, I learned so much from her about the concept of transgender and gender fluid, even though I, even though I had worked with transgender patients before. And so once that happened, I started thinking, I, I like this. Like I actually like talking with people. Yeah. So I just started interviewing them. And a lot of the people I wound up interviewing are just people who are in, you know, the, the hard rock or metal community. And, you know, I have to say, like, I, I, I always feel a very special bond with whoever I interview because I feel like it's a something that you, you go through together and you write it up. But, right. you know, some of the most influential people have been the people in the more extreme, you know, like Mark Greenway of Napalm Death, who I've interviewed a couple of times, once by himself and once with, with Buzz from the Melvins. And it was just, you know, just his, his views on humanity and his views on veganism and, and, right. and John Joseph of Cro-Mags. I mean, John is probably the person I've interviewed the most and has probably had among, you know, just such a huge impact on me because really between Mark and John, I, I just had to go vegan, you know? Right. <laughs> so I was like, so that was, that was something that was, you know, I had, and I'm writing a book on vegan musicians now. And actually the majority of not the majority, but the, the most represented group is extreme metal. Yeah. So there's sure. John, there's Mark, there's Lindsay Schoolcraft from Cradle of Filth, right. Alyssa White Glues from Arch Enemy. Sure. Um, you know, Doyle, Doyle. is not uh, he's not metal, but you know, the mis- you know, it's it's yeah. that it's that flavor of uh, Zen Campbell. Yeah, you know, there's 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 so many people. And so again, like the influence of metal on me um, has just been so profound that it, I mean, I, I it, it's it's so cliche to say, but it, it completely changed my life. Right on. And I'm um, just happy to, 
in any way be like shining a light on it. And I think that's why, you know, I think that's why people appreciate what you're doing. It's like just shining a light on this, this great kind of subculture, um, that has so many different facets and is, is so and really diverse. Does. And yeah. I, I want to talk to you about that, but I tell you what, let's first hit some music. You mentioned life of agony and you'd sent me a link to this clip of them playing this song in front of like, looked like 9 million people, uh, just an amazing clip, but let's, let's go back to the studio recorded, recorded version of this song. It's called river runs red. And we're going to check it out right now on Talking Metal. But what were you saying, Mike? They they uh, they open with this at the Irving Plaza show that right. they just that had. you saw recently. And yeah, you know, I'd seen them go. once before, uh, but I just I don't know what it was. But it's something about that opening. Like I listened to the song like fifty times after I came out of that right. show. I couldn't stop listening to it. Cool. Let's check it out now on Talking Metal. <laughs> just heard was a little life of agony a band that dr mike who we're talking with here today has a great relationship with of course joey z produced your band now i don't you, you told us your history about getting into the band and stuff but you didn't really ever tell us the name of the band oh the name was the name of the band uh, i guess is even though we're not active anymore is odd zero odd zero yeah. right on and i've heard odd zero it's up on spotify i thought your voice sounded great on it um let's get into some music from Odd Zero right now on Talking Metal. What can we play for the Talking Metal listeners? Uh, let's play Admire the Liar, the first track off of our second uh, album. It was an EP. It was uh, produced by Joey Z of Life of Agony. And, uh, you know, that was, that, I don't know, that was a special recording experience for us. Joey was cool because what we did was we, we sort of talked about whatever the song was. Right. And I, you know, we just spent some time talking about it. And then when we got into that emotional place, he's like, we looked at each other like, okay, now it's time to record. And so I, I, I dug that process. I thought that was cool. Cool. We'll check it out right now on Talking Metal. 
little music by Dr. Mike. He is our guest here today on Talking Metal. Just kind of off the beaten path, little comment. Uh, Joey Z, now he has a recording studio, right? Method is of it, Groove Studio. Yeah, isn't, isn't that's where you recorded it? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So Hurricane Sandy, or was it Irene? I'm trying to remember. I don't uh, remember. One I feel of like those. It was Sandy. Yeah, Sandy, he, he lost the studio in the storm, right? That's correct. Yeah. Right, yeah. So we had had Joey on the show, I think, once or twice. And then we were doing this Hurricane Sandy one year later special, and we were having musicians on from the area who had been affected by the storm. And he was supposed to call in, and he never, it was a live show too, and he never called in. So, but then he ran into my wife uh, recently at the the, uh, Revolver Awards, and he was like, he was like, oh yeah, you know, I was like, because I emailed him, I was like, hey, what's up? You've didn't you didn't call in you were supposed to call in never never heard from him and then but he ran into my wife recently when she was doing a press at the uh, revolver awards for us on talking metal and he was like tell mark i said i so i was just glad he remembered who i was <laughs> and joey if you're listening we'd love to have you back on talking metal at some point to, to catch up uh and so the it, it blows me away that, that you were drawn to go try out for a band at, you know, when you're in your thirties. Uh, and did you have that calling earlier in your life or was it something that came to you later in life when you, when you're 30 something years old? I I think in retrospect, I probably had the calling, but I don't think I, I, one of the things that that's been interesting about getting to know, musicians from different genres. So if I interview hip hop, I I would say hip hop, hardcore and metal, there is a, a, a similar kind of concept and, and, and in similar approach to the world that I just simply didn't have. And that approach from my perspective is looking at the world and, and, and first thing, first pivot is just not taking the world at face value. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not accepting this. I'm not joining this. I don't feel like I need to be a part of this. I don't feel like I need to be accepted by this. Right. And, and that's such an interesting, so you see that with all those different genres. I I think, but I think, I think hard, yeah, I think hardcore and metal, even a little bit more in a way, you know, cause it's interesting to circle back to something you said earlier in the show, which was, you know, you were, you were kind of a nerd when you were, were you were younger, and, but you weren't really into metal or hardcore. But I, I, you know, I always considered myself a total nerd, like greasy haired, uh, you know, kid. I, I wasn't the cool kid that the girls liked or anything like that. Um, in, when I was in high school, um, you know, I, I was definitely a total nerd, you know, social anxiety and, you, you know, very in my room record collecting, you know, trying to learn guitar. And there were kids at my school who played guitar and were cool and had long hair and, you know, and, and stuff. But I felt like my little community of probably four kids total, you know, cause there weren't a lot of us we didn't do drugs. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't at the smoking section. We weren't the jocks on the, on the, you know, the football team and stuff. We were, we were people who like lived and breathed rock music and specifically, you know, for me, it was like the commercial hard rock and and heavy metal of the day. And, and at the time, I don't know if I realized it, but many years later I realized I was a total, total nerd except, you know, except with glasses with tape in the middle, I had like, uh, you know, 
five different Iron Maiden shirts that I wore every day and, you know, couldn't get girls to come anywhere near me, you know, and, and was the kid who, you know, was shy. And, you know, so, so I, I feel like, and I, I, I've spoken with a lot of other metalheads through the years and that was, they had the, a very similar experience. I do believe that there were some kids who were the cool kids, you know, but, but we were we were very much nerds in you know a little bit different you know we didn't have the calculator and the you know and and and, and whatnot but we were we I definitely always considered myself a nerd so I found it interesting that you considered yourself a nerd earlier yeah if I, I think that the big thing was that I wouldn't have been able to distinguish between the you know, the nerdy metal kids, the cool metal kids, I wouldn't even have understood what, you know, it meant to be a nerdy kid with a lot of records. Like, so that, that was me actually. And I think I I suspect that we were probably listening to some of the same music. So like, you know, for me at that point, metal was scorpions, quiet riot, you know, it was definitely basically like, you know, metal tinged rock. And so I definitely grew up during the, the hair metal era. But as an example, I mean, I Metallica passed me by, right. You know, uh, you know, I, my, my first, and I'll tell you this, the first metal show that I ever went to that I didn't plan was, and, uh, Mike Bruno of, uh, billboard actually took me to it was, it was Slayer, Megadeth and I think Testament. Oh wow! And that was a, that was just a few years ago, right? And so all those bands. I mean, I'd, I'd seen a lot of metal bands because the bands we played with, but I'd never actually just gone to a metal show, right? And I was just sitting there being like, "Oh my god, this is! I mean, this is insane! How good this is!" Yeah, you know. And then and then later it was uh, the, it, it got and with all due respect to that, I mean th- that was an amazing show. But when I saw Napalm Death, right, and the Melvins. Yeah, I was I was like my head was exploding from that. Right, but I would have never understood that you know a kid like if I saw you when you know I would have assumed I would have never guessed that you would have been socially anxious. Mm-hmm. I would have just assumed you, you like, may have guessed here, here, you know, when you tried to talk. To me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I would have assumed that you just didn't want to talk to me because I was right. too nerdy. Yeah, well, that you know? that was that was one thing. I I mean, not to go into my own, you know anxiety problems growing up, but that was one thing I got, uh, 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 you know, and when I got into my twenties, I s- sort of started to outgrow that. And, but, but I had, I had like, I remember really like a cute girl come up to me and say, Oh, I, th- I thought you didn't like me because y- you know, y- you, you never looked at me or, t- or talked with me, but yet, uh, you know, I was very attracted to her. It was just that I didn't have the self-confidence, you know what I mean? To, to even make eye contact and say hello, you know? So, so yeah. Uh, but, but I got that a lot. And then looking back, even people, I went to high school with you. I always thought you, you know, thought you were, didn't want anything to do with anybody. And that wasn't really the case. It was just more like this social awkwardness, you know, which is, I think why I dove so hard, no pun intended, but hardcore into this music. I don't know if I cut you off. Did you finish your thought? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about some of your articles now. Now, because you're a doctor and, and you see patients, you help them with problems, psychologist, right? Your articles, which are a lot of mostly music based, or musician-based, um, have dealt with many subjects, some of them kind of dark, I would say. So, so w- when you look back at some of your, your, your articles that you've written, can you tell me just off the top of your head and without giving it too much thought, like what's, what's 
the article that you consider most fun interviewing and writing, most difficult uh, and maybe to prepare for or most what article made you most nervous and what, what was the the heaviest one that you did let's start with that just on the, subject the heaviest yeah. in terms of subject matter yeah ooh that's uh that's that's rough i actually i actually think that one of the heaviest i, I wouldn't say it's the the heaviest per se cuz i think a lot of them were probably one of the heaviest was when i interviewed uh Daryl McDaniels Daryl DMC McDaniels right. of sure. Run DMC and it was it was definitely one of the coolest things because he came to my office and we were live and we we hung out for like two and a half hours and I actually interviewed him later for a Jed Foundation event um, live and so we got to hang out there. Um, his story was just really really uh, heavy in terms of a perfect example. He was a comic book nerd. Right. His whole DMC persona was was made up you know yeah. he basically was like a comic book hero um and the fact that he uh the heaviness of his story it's it's out there so i'm not i'm not giving right. anything away was that he was adopted and his whole life he didn't know right and he uh went through i think basically the way he describes it is when he felt like he wasn't able to have his creative voice in the band. He fell into depression, Suicidal addiction, period, suicidality. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was very, that was very heavy for me in the sense that, you know, and I told him this, you know, it's, it's like, you know, here's this person that, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I think gravitated to him because it was like, I don't have that, you know, D I mean, he's almost like a mythical character, like this right. strength, you know, and I didn't have that. And so, you know, I felt good, you know, you know, listening to run DMC music in part because of that angle. And so just hearing how, you know, isolated and how alone he felt. Um, and to the point where, you know, someone with, with all of this going for him would actually consider suicide, yeah. um, was, was heavy. That was, right. a, that was heavy. And he's, you know, part of why we were talking was he was doing that metal collaboration with uh, generation kill. Yeah. Which I thought was, he's just very cool. And I think fragile uh, I, mortals it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that was, that was very heavy because I think it, it really, you know, I think brought home to me again, how much mental health issues have almost nothing to do with your life. Right. It's really something that once it takes hold, you know, people will say like, I don't understand you have such a great life. Why are you depressed? It's like saying like, I don't understand why you have such a great life. Why do you have diabetes? It's like, yeah. it's, it's, there's like, those have nothing to do with each other. Right. Like depression would almost be more understood by people if it wasn't called depression right. because That's they assume lesson. it's just like a mood, you know? And, and I think that that was, that was heavy for me. And I right. think it was really eye opening, and it made me realize it's like, you know, you never know what somebody's story is and right. no matter how revered, I mean, and, 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 you know, this guy is revered. Right. And I, that, I mean, that article was for psychology today. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and was that, was that as far as preparation and, you know, uh, getting ready for the interview, did you get nervous for that one? Or were there any interviews that you've done where you're like, wow, I'm, I'm nervous doing this. I nervous. I I got sometimes, I mean, I, I got nervous. I, I was not, I don't think as well prepared for that interview in the sense that I didn't realize the depth of the story. Right. And I actually, someone had told me, about the thing with Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, like 
a day before I, I didn't even, I didn't even research that. Like I yeah. had this like so, really, so Sarah McLaughlin was at a party when, when Daryl was at his, his lowest and, and, uh, he basically told her that, you know, his, her music saved, saved yeah. his life. And, Song Angel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think the person who was the scariest interview, um, <laughs> I think, I think John Joseph was my scariest yeah. interview. And the, the thing that was scary about it was simply, um, I felt like talking to John and I told him this, um, and I, I've told him this, I think a couple of different times. I just felt like I had no excuse for anything that I wanted to change in my life. Right. I mean, the, the John has gone through so much as in, you know, the evolution of a chrome egg was, you know, we were, um, we were interviewing at one point about that and his story of abandonment, of abuse, of mm-hmm. incarceration, of addiction, um, and what he is doing now in terms of, uh, plant-based living. And he's always doing these different charity events and he right. does his triathlon, you know, uh, things. And he's, uh, he's always looking to help people. I think that what was scary about that yeah. was, I was like, I got, I got zero excuse for anything in my life. Yeah. And it was, it's good. Like sometimes when I'm, sometimes when I'm like trying to make a change and I'm having trouble, I just kind of think to myself, I was like, man, get off your ass because, right. and, and before I've interviewed him, I think now four times for different things. And each time I, I get a little nervous beforehand thinking to myself, oh shit, am I like, am I taking care of myself? Am I like, if I gained weight, am I exercising? Right, <laughs> I'm, right. like, I'm always like, I'm always like, oh man, I hope, I hope I'm, I hope I'm in the best shape of my life right. and I'm not fucking around because it's just like, I, I told him, I was like, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you justify it? You know, what this guy's gone through and pulled himself out and that, so that has probably been the scariest. It, it's right. not really scary in the classic sense, but just, it's just like, you know, oh man, like you better get your shit together because yeah. you got no fucking excuse. Right on. And wh- what about the most like enjoyable interview where, where you've left the interview or hung up the phone after interviewing this person and just been like, wow, that was, that was really fun. I, I, I mean, I, I do, I know it sounds cliche, but I do genuinely like everybody is just, is, is really wonderful. I mean, there's a very rare exception when I, I have something where it's like, uh, I, I don't feel like I connected with them. Like some, sometimes it's a little bit more, uh, somebody's a little bit more guarded or a little bit more like kind of, you know, they're going through the, the notes. I, I would say that Mark Greenway from, of Napalm Death has, okay. has always been, um, we've interviewed three times before. I, I, I really love what, Mark does. I just, I just love his whole perspective on life. The, the article we wrote about, you know, sort of extreme, I think this extreme humanity of, of Mark Greenway, like his views on humans and, and other living beings and, and, uh, you know, the negative forces, certain government forces and certain right. social forces. I just, it, it, it really, um, is very inspiring to me. And so it's, it wasn't fun in the, in the like sex, drugs and rock and roll kind right. of way, but it, it was, it was very, um, it was very inspiring, you know? And I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I actually really, I actually just thought it please speaking of like fun though. Like I really enjoyed, uh, I did an article on hard rock songwriting right. where I interviewed Nikki six. I was going to, that was my next question. Nikki yeah. Six, Cause a lot of our listeners, we, you know, have a lot of listeners who are into the, 
the 80s commercial hard rock stuff. Nikki, yeah. Nikki, I, I, talking with Nikki and Jacoby, for, I, I've actually uh, just interviewed Jacoby again for uh, their new album and, and Zoltan from Five Figure Death Punch. Like, that was, a, that was I would say, a very fun article. Right. And, and, and was the, he and, promoting 6 a.m. with that? Is that no, I don't, I don't even think so. I mean, he was, but it was like, it was really just... Um, you know, Jamie Roberts, who, um, of right angle PR, who at that point, uh, I think was at 11, seven music. Who's, who's really from the beginning of my doing this work has kind of, I've really connected with and, and sort of understands what I'm trying to do. And she basically set up there like those different artists and said, I, we just talked about it originally. It's like, I, and I said to her, I was like, you know, I just don't, I kind of feel like, wouldn't it be cool for people to understand how these people write these popular kind of rock and metal songs and understand that, you know, it's not some, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's so high level in terms of intelligence. It's not that, you know, people would be like, Oh, that's not right. smart music or it's not intelligent music. And man, I, to, to all of them. And, it, but Nikki, you know, Nikki, obviously because of Motley Crue's reputation, I think the, and you know, he's been very public about his struggles with addiction and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, but man, is that, I just, I just love listening to that guy talk about his right. process. I just yeah. found it so fascinating. Um, and you know, I just, I, I think he deserves, he deserves a credit for writing. So look, home sweet home, as far as I'm concerned, is still, right. is still a song that I think is, is, you know, if, if you like that kind of music right. and that kind of song, that song kicks ass and it's just like, you know, what do you got to be in order to write that? And the same thing with Jacoby, same thing with Zoltan. And so I was, what was really fascinating was just like how much they had similar concepts of flow and getting into the zone and how you push away external distractions. And I just, I just think it's really, really cool when you, you enjoy someone's art and then you get to understand how they do it. That, that I think was very fun because it wasn't, wasn't heavy in terms of, it wasn't like mental health or depression. It was just talking about like the craft of songwriting. And I, I found that very fun. Cool. Well, let's get into a little classic Motley Crue right now. This is going way, way, way back. This is public enemy. Number one.
little Motley Crew here on Talking Metal. We have Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike, where can people reach you online? You're on Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, I mean, uh, anybody could go to my uh, website, uh, michaelfriedmanphd.com. Uh, my Psychology Today column is Brick by Brick. Um, you, so you go up Michael Friedman Brick by Brick, and you can see the different uh, interviews. I have a Huffington Post um, Huffington Post column as well. I mean, they're both cool. they're both blogs. I'm calling them columns, but they're right. blogs. Right. Cool. <laughs> but, we'll, we'll try to you know. get those all linked through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com. Right. And you know, I, wa- I wanted to to talk to you about the metal community, which is such a vast term right now. You, you talk about the New York like metalcore and hardcore scene, which is 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 very different from the. I just went down to the M3 festival, which is like danger, danger and warrant and, you know, rat and, you know, very different scene, but yet somehow all these different types of bands with loud guitars tend to fall under this, this big, you know, hard rock, heavy metal, metal umbrella. And, you know, it's definitely a music that, that seems to transcend, a lot of different social and religion, uh, you know, groups and communities. And, and, you know, it's funny. I just saw Metallica last Sunday and when Hetfield came on stage, one of the first things he said was, I don't, I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what you eat. Uh, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what God you worship or if you even worship a God or something like that. He said, he said, you're a Metallica fan and you're here tonight. And that's all he said. And we're all Metallica brothers and sisters tonight. And, and I, it was really powerful when he said that. And I get that sense, like even at the M3 festival, you know, which is, is definitely a more like white 35 to 55 age group. But, but still one, once you're there because you're united around this, this music, you know, people don't really care who you voted for or what, what kind of car you drive or, you know, what you're, you're, you know, if you believe in God or, or not, you know, and, and this music tends to bring people together more than other types of music. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the best example of, of what I think of the metal hardcore community. Uh, so I was at, I was at, uh, the Napalm Death um, Melvin show, right? And I think that it was at Webster Hall, but I don't, I don't remember. And I, I just interviewed uh, Mark, and so I was, I was sitting right near the dressing room, so I was looking mm-hmm. down on the right. crowd. And so there's the mosh pit, and everybody's going fucking nuts, right? You know. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, and all of a sudden, everybody stopped. And I was like. I wonder what happened. everybody took out their phone and turned on their their flashlights on their phone, right? And we're like looking, and what I then realized was that somebody dropped their glasses, <laughs> right. and literally everybody in the pit stopped, right. took out their phone. You saw someone find the glasses, yeah. give it to the person. The person put them on. Everyone was like, "You okay?" And then as soon as they said it was okay, they went to like another. They right. just were right back into Masha. And it, and it's interesting because again, you know sometimes elements of mainstream society will deem this music 
violent, unintelligent and, you know, stupid and, you know, loners and people who don't care about themselves or, or others. And we constantly are reminded that that this isn't the case. And on a whole, you know, kind of to, to segue to, to uh, a, a quote by you that Blabbermouth tends to reuse over and over again, I've seen it at least two or three times, is, is that the fans of this music aren't dumb, degenerate, you know, unintelligent people. I mean, can you speak a little bit about the, you know, you know, the quote I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's just the opposite. I mean, I think that the, this is scientific. Yeah. The, the research, the, the, the research shows the following things that people who tend to like heavier forms of music tend to be more, uh, what's called open to experience. It's a personality style where they're right. just more open-minded is probably the best way of saying it. And people, I, these, my experience just from a, a personal standpoint is that the community is incredibly thoughtful. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's not just not dumb. It's incredibly thoughtful. Like I said, the book that I'm doing on vegan musicians, you know, the, the people who I am interviewing have, are, you know, again, talk about caring, you know, talking about caring about, you know, animal cruel, you know, band, you know, there's the, uh, you know, like cattle decapitation, right? Yeah, right. So people naturally assume a band like that or napalm death, you know, or cradle of filth, you naturally assume that this is people who are sort of celebrating bad things and what they're doing. It's very, it's very much like born, you know, born in the USA. It's like Bruce Springsteen. It was that misunderstanding that they had about right. Bruce Springsteen. It's like, these are not people who are celebrating these things. They are drawing attention right. to these things. Yeah. And so I think that what, you know, I find that, you know, you look at a, a standard napalm death album and you look at the lyrics and you're like, wow, this is going into a lot. And I think that that's much more common than I would find in other genres of music that are considered more mainstream and more acceptable. So just like Bruce Springsteen's song, to just give a little bit of background on that, back in the 80s, uh, Bruce had this song called Born in the USA that was a big hit, and we had, you know, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are, this is like what happened. Ronald Reagan started quoting that song and holding up Bruce as this American hero and... Bruce, who's kind of on the other end of the political spectrum from Ronald Reagan, basically called him out on it and said, that's not, this isn't about what you are doing. This is about the working man who's down on his luck. This isn't about, you know, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what, well, what, he, said, what he was saying. Yeah. I think what he was saying was that you're taking it as a sort of glossed over non-thinking patriotism, right, you know, just rah, right, rah. Right. And it's like, and no, it's, it's like this much was, more elegant this was, than <laughs> I was trying. To, yeah. No, no, no. But this, this, this is, the song was, the song was a, was, was bringing attention to the, and ju you know, putting a, a juxtaposing the, that patriotism with like, Hey, look at what's going on in the country. Right. And Bruce Springsteen's always been spectacular doing that. But I think that, you know, a lot of my favorite metal artists are outstanding at doing that. And right. so I, I think that getting back to the question of what's the science say, you know, there's open-minded, there are people who are very interested in civic engagement. That's yeah. another thing that people with heavier music, you know, you think about, I mean, what was 
hardcore, you know, what, you know, what was hardcore, which I think is, is related, you know, to metal in a lot of ways. I mean, there was constant like bringing, you know, like we're going to do a separate society and we're going to have certain values. And at least in the case of, you know, bands like minor threat. And I think that metal has all of that. But then the other thing is that, you know, what we find in studies is that if you like metal music, metal doesn't get you more aggressive it actually calms you down wow and that's and it, scientifically proven and that's yeah. been well i mean you know the, the studies that have done it have shown that it's, yeah. i'm always i'm always i'm always hesitant to say it's been proven per se but the studies show that if you have someone who is into metal listening to metal they calm down instead their, of their health instead of what we you know in the press especially back in the you know the pmrc days and stuff we were said oh well if you listen to this stuff it's going to make you go be violent and kill people and and it's quite the opposite if if you have dark feelings and you listen to this dark music it helps soothe those feelings and and can even put you more at peace than you may have been without it without that music yeah and just to give you a context of it the one of the worst things that you can do from a mental health perspective is suppress thought and emotion Right. That's the the studies are very clear about that. Everything bad happens to you when you do that. You feel a hundred times worse in every way, and so you know. Imagine the the bizarre concept of here are these people who are doing the very thing that we now know is is the is mentally healthy, which is airing these feelings, bringing attention to difficult issues. You know, whether it's depression or suicidality or problems in society. I mean, listen, like you know what if we had listened to war pigs like right. you know the last however right. many years you know how uh, you know how but we didn't and so you know people look at a song like that and be like oh is that celebrating war right and it's like that's not what war pigs is about at all yeah. and you know so what a weird situation to say here's a subculture that is bringing attention to depression bringing attention to suicide saying it's important thinking about it in complex ways right. and then you get someone who has no understanding of that culture no understanding of the emotional consequences of suppression or the potential benefits of that kind of cathartic experience and is basically saying you cause suicide yeah when it's exactly in some ways the opposite and i think that you know, I know for myself, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really in a bad place when I started playing music per se, but it opened me up to an entirely different world. And I think that there's a lot of people who have told me that being able to connect with an artist is sometimes, you know, when you're a kid and you're talking about it, you know, you're just talking about social anxiety, but there's some people that are like, I don't think anyone in this world understands me. I don't think anyone in this world gets me. But when I, what used to be putting on that record or listening to that song, I, I know that there's at least one person out there who gets it. Yeah. And because I see that there's other people who go to the show, I know that they're out there somewhere. Back in the day when you didn't have the internet, it was harder to connect to those people. So you had to, you had to go and, you know, go to a show or whatever, or get a, a mag, you know, get a fanzine or something. But now I think people are like, yeah, you know what? I'm not the only one who's struggling with this shit. You know, and it's, I think that's been metal's role all the way through. I think that's going to be metal's role forever is to be like, we're on the outside and we're going to shine a mirror and we're going to shine a light on you. And and we can do that because we don't really care if you accept us because by the way, we don't think you're going to accept us anyway. Right. But so who the, gives a shit? And, and there's a lot of truth to that. And I mean, so many times, um, sadly, when there's some horrific event that happens, I, I see politicians on both sides of the aisle, big name politicians who, uh, you know, I, 
I could name on, on, again, on both sides of the aisle that point to, well, the video games and, and the, 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 the music is, you know, is making these kids, you know, bad. And that you know, no, there's always such, it's like, it's like people who don't understand something that actually may be helping. I mean, on video games, there have been studies that the kids that are playing video games, and I know we're not here to defend video games, but are less violent in real life than the kids that are on the football team. You know, it's, there was a Penn and Teller did a great show called Bullshit where they totally went into this. And, and yet we constantly see people pointing the finger at video games and, and music as, the, as what corrupts young kids who go to end up going down a bad path and doing something terrible. And there's no evidence to that. Right. I mean, and, but, but why do, why do people always want to point at punk rock, hard rock, even hip hop and say, that's the problem over there. Well, well, look at what, right. Look at what those genres are doing. They're shining a light on exactly. They're, they're, yeah. they're willing, you know, what is, what is, what is punk at core? You know, in particular, punk at core is a confrontation. Yeah. It's, it's, if it's not, if you're not confronting something, it's not, as far as I'm concerned, punk. Metal, I think, can be a lot of different things, but I think, you know, and so, of course, it's going to rattle the very people who don't want people to shine a light on them or on the systems that they hold dear. Um, it's, it's by definition, it's unsettling. Like it's, it's not easy for, to hear Mark Greenway talking about, you know, what factory farming does to people, what it does to our environment, what it does to the animals. Like that's, that's not comfortable. You know, people want to eat their steak. And so, you know, it's natural to say, Oh, you know, you're the problem. You, you, you know, the people already look different. They're already kind of marginalized in the fact that they're not participating in those same groups or whatever. So why not point them? There's a family, there's a family systems dynamic. It's like, let's, let's do what they call like the identified patient. Like let's, let's point the finger at them. They're the problem. If we, if we get rid of them, then we can kind of seal it off and everybody's going to be part of this like sort of mass delusion that everything here is okay. And that's, I think a big reason why people, you know, get very angry, quite frankly, at, at, those different genres, right. you know, no, nobody, you know, it's like life was easier on some, on some level for a lot of people before public enemy, you know, it was a lot easier before KRS one in the same way that it was a lot easier before Metallica. It was a lot easier before black Sabbath, even. Right. you know, black Sabbath. Again, I, I go back to war pigs. I mean, you know, life was easier for a lot of people without having to hear that song. Yeah. Nobody wants to think of themselves as a war pig. Right. But you know, uh, I think that that's why, but I think that's why the fans are so devoted. Yeah. And that's another thing is that there was actually a study done recently that says that metal, I don't know how they did this exactly, but metal fans are effectively the most devoted of the fans. Right. Yeah. I and, read that too. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, you know, and I think the way somebody explained it was like, you know, if you're a pop music fan, it's like, well, you can be a, you know, a Michael Jackson fan, you can be a Stevie Wonder fan, you could be a Whitney Houston fan, you could be all these different things. And it's nothing to take away from them. Those are, those are fantastic artists. But I think that it's not always clear that those fans are, you know, necessarily going to follow them through right. anything. They're, they're, you know, more and, casual fans. Well, yeah. and there's a lot more, I mean, I'm sure there's still hardcore fans, but a right. lot of the fans are casual. Yeah. But if you're a Slayer fan, you're a Slayer fan for life. Right. Yeah. And there's no, there, there, there's no, 
you, there's no backing out of that. You just, because if you, because you just are, you know? And I think that there's something about metal where if, if you have been felt like in some ways that you're marginalized or you feel like you don't quite fit in and you've got somebody who is speaking your truth and validating your truth, you know, that, that's, that's with anybody, I mean, right anybody on. who does that for you, you're going to be devoted to for the rest of your life. Well, you know, you, you are a, a medical professional. There are listeners of this show who may be dealing with addiction, maybe having depression issues. What, what do you, is there something, I know it's, it's probably a, a, a big question, but what are some of the first steps somebody suffering from depression should do in your opinion? Well, I think if you're suffering from depression, I think the first thing to do is to, and you can go to a website and just look at the symptoms and see, okay, is this what I have? And, and right. depression is where you're sad or depressed or don't enjoy things most of the, of the day, nearly every day for at least two weeks. Okay. And then there's a bunch of other symptoms such as, uh, sleep and eating disturbance, suicidality, la- loss of energy, lack of concentration. So the first step would be identifying yes. that you're depressed. It's sort okay. of being like, okay, I think I have this. And then the second thing is I would say, look at the range of options. And I think that there's the medication options, there's therapy options like cognitive behavioral therapy or interpersonal psychotherapy, um, behavioral therapy. Um, and what I would say is try if you can to start the process of getting into some kind of support or treatment, you know, and different people are going to feel comfortable with different levels of engagement. Maybe for some people, the most they can do is buy a book that's a self-help book, right? You know, maybe people can go all the way to contact a psychiatrist or a psychologist like myself or a social worker. Maybe it's contact a support group. Uh, there's the national Alliance for mentally ill NAMI. Um, you know, I would say the main thing that you can do, um, you know, tell, tell someone who you're friends with or tell a family member is start the process of recognizing that you have something and, reaching out for help in some way in whatever way feels like it's the, it's, it's the best that you can do. Um, and that, that's what I would definitely say is that start that process of saying, I am depressed. I want to get help. And then, you know, some of it is, is unfortunately a little bit of trial and error as to what's going to work for you. And I'd imagine with, with alcohol, uh, addiction and drug addiction. It's a similar step that you need to kind of recognize you have the problem or I, I think, yeah, I think, or, that, I mean, I always watch that show. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, where they, they sit the person down and they, uh, tell them the family intervention. Uh, you ever watch that show? Well, uh, one, one thing I would, I would say is that the, uh, with, with addiction interventions, the evidence for whether those work oh. are actually a little, dicey okay. um makes for a good tv show it makes for good it, it probably <laughs> yeah. makes for good tv and i'm and I i'm sure laugh, that it yeah. and i'm sure that it works for some people as right. as well you it's know. funny at the end credits a lot of times they're like and three months later she you know went back and you know and she's addicted again so yeah yeah i think i think with addiction i would i would say the same thing which would be like you know recognizing that you've got an addiction is yeah, in sure. some ways harder than recognizing that you're depressed because on some level, 
you, you still kind of want to do the yeah, addiction. Yeah, you don't want to. Whereas there's nothing about depression that <laughs> that's good for anybody. Right. Whereas the addiction, it's like you, you still want to get high, you still want to get drunk, right. you still want to you know gamble, whatever whatever it is. And I think in that case, it's if you can get to the point where even if you think you have a problem, I think even you're not sure that you're addicted. I think it's it's the same thing as reaching out and sort of saying like, all right, what could I what could I potentially do here? In in the case of addiction, I generally tend to recommend a little bit more that people try the twelve step process okay. if possible. It's not something that's for everyone, um, but I think that if to at least give it a chance to see if it's for you, right. because I think there's so many parts of that that provide stuff for people. You know, there's, there's meetings everywhere. There's a program, there's a community, there's getting a sponsor, there's being able to call someone at any point in the night to get help. Right. So I, I'm not saying that, that, uh, anonymous programs are for everyone, but what I would say to people with addiction is that if you, unless you have like a really, really strong aversion to it, at least try to give that a shot okay. as well as potentially reaching out to a therapist or a psychiatrist or something like right that. Right on. And there's different, different levels of addiction, obviously. No, of course. Yeah. So I, I guess it's, it's just recognizing that and yeah. Yeah. I and mean, one of the things about, uh, I think both of those conditions, but you know, is that one of the things that perpetuates them is the loneliness and right. the lack of connection with yourself, lack of connection with things that you enjoy, lack of connection with other people. Okay. And so if you, if you're not somebody who is keen on actually reaching out and getting help, but you still want to try to do something, one of the things that I would say is, and it, you know, this is a metal show, so I can, I can just tell you from my experience that, um, my life didn't change from doing music simply because it was like, Oh, I get to do music. It was all the stuff that was in between. It, it, it fills up your life in a way that can be very profound in the sense that, you know, if you, so I would say if you're a metal fan and you're thinking to yourself, well, how can I, how can I get over some of these things? And I, but I don't want to go to treatment. I just want to try to do, take some kind of positive step in my life. I would say that, you know, the metal community needs they need fans. Right. They need musicians. They need people who do fanzines. They need people who do podcasts like you blogs. Know, like what you're sure, doing. Yeah. Blogs. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways of like taking the next step in your community that's generally speaking going to be probably well received. Because I, you know, I know when I was doing a band, like I I sent our stuff to any any blog that wanted to or sure. any fanzine that wanted to review us, I was psyched about. I enjoyed talking with the people. Now when you're talking about hardcore addiction, hardcore depression, that's not going to be enough per se. Right. But it's, but it's still a start. It's a positive step towards, you know, not only getting rid of the mental health issue that you have, but building your life in a way that in theory would help prevent relapse from those things. Like right. again, you're connected sure. to yourself, Good tip. you're connected to others. And right. I think that's always a way to, 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 as it's, it's part of the, of the program. It's part of the program of fighting these things. Yeah, excellent tip. And Mike, it's been great having you on the uh, the podcast today. We'll have links up in today's show notes to uh, your website, your Twitter, your Facebook, uh, the the blogs that you mentioned, the columns that you mentioned on Psychology Today and Huffington Post. And you're in New York City. You have offices there, practices there. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, they could do that, and uh, they would that all that info is 
Yeah, so you go to my Michael Friedman yeah. uh, PhD.com. I have offices in uh, Midtown Manhattan. I office just in, opened in South Orange, New Jersey. Okay. Cool. Um, right near WSOU. So, right, sure. You know, <laughs> you sure. Famous Seton Hall heavy metal station for 30 some years. And yeah, so if you need to reach out to Mike, definitely do so. He's a great guy. I've known him for a few years now. And thanks for finally coming. We've been talking about this. For I know years. this is awesome. This is the fruition from our meeting on the playground on a Tuesday night here in my, in my basement. So this is war pigs by black Sabbath to take us out. Please check out Mike online and remember to use our Amazon links. We hope to see you in Nashville on August 26th too. That would be great if you guys came out for the rock and pod expo, all your favorite podcasts will be there. Cool. Take care guys. Here's a little Sabbath. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Brainwash minds. Oh, larger.
darkness world stops turning Ashes where the body's burning No more war pigs have the power And as God has struck the hour Day of judgment God is calling Underneath the war pigs crawling Begging mercies for the sins Satan laughing spreads his wings oh!